going to try to do, in case you're sitting there thinking, I hope you have some questions already just from the teaching you heard last night and today. But Peter and I hope to stir it up a little more just by taking maybe 12 minutes to just back and forth real quickly. We're going to tick through just some of the top things we've learned in our marriage. 12-ish minutes. Yeah, we'll see how this goes for two guys that always go longer than we're supposed to go. (laughs) But this, this was the idea. Here was one for me that has helped me so much. And you hear this all the time, but it's so true. All right? So if you don't understand this, get it today. Our wives don't want us primarily to solve things. I know that seems weird. You know, as a guy, if I start pouring my heart out to you, to David Clegg, and David looks at me and says, dude, that must be hard. I'm going to smack him. I know it's hard. I'm telling you it's hard. Do you have any ideas about what we could do to fix this? That's a man's world. But when I would rush in, I got three things coming to my mind right now about how we can fix it. I was just so surprised why she wasn't encouraged by this. So I've got this written down in my prayer journal that I pray for myself in our marriage. It is sympathy, support, solve. And you may never never even get to solve. Sometimes they really don't. But until they know you care... So actually, to me, I found that you got to say it like you mean it. That must be... You can't say, that must be hard. You got That must be hard. All right, so there's one of mine. Mm -hmm. Peter? Yeah. This is mine. Everything is foreplay. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Intimacy in the bedroom does not start in the bedroom. Intimacy, sexually speaking, with your wife does not start when you're about to go and get it on. Everything is foreplay. The oneness stuff, the friendship, the attitudes, the actions that we have throughout the week, throughout our everyday, will play a part in our sexual intimacy. So when people, I I say this to most couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, I definitely say it to couples when I'm doing postmarital counseling, that you have to realize that when you're wanting to build sexual intimacy and sexual relations with your spouse, that doesn't just start, you know, when we flip the switch and it's like, okay, all of a sudden we've put on some music, we've lowered the lights, we've got some bass guitar going in the background and we're going to go upstairs. That's not when foreplay starts. We're laying the groundwork for the sexual intimacy that we have with our wives throughout our everyday lives. So the oneness that I'm talking about, that same team mentality, that's not, and now we have to talk about sexual oneness. It all plays into each other. So it's not that we work on our sexual, sexual relationship and we work on our regular relationship. Everything is foreplay. And that wasn't key to me and wasn't, uh, that wasn't something that I knew early on in marriage. And I was, and I was thinking, okay, well, this aspect of our marriage is good because our sex life was at least decent at the time. Um, but maybe if we improve this, and I was focusing on it, focusing on it, when in reality, it's the whole game, right? It's not just one aspect of the game. It's the whole game. So I call that everything is foreplay. It's not just when we decide to get it on. It's our lives and the oneness that we share with one another. Planting a seed is how to lead. Your wife may be different than mine, but I doubt it. And so I was just taken back and I wrongly interpreted in a defensive hurt kind of way when I would declare things that I thought we ought to do. All I wanted to hear her say is, yeah, wow. And she would start asking questions. And I interpreted that as, what is your problem? Like, come on. 
And we, sometimes we don't recognize how little we've said about something and how much we've been thinking about it hmm. until we say it. And then we can't figure out what's wrong with them. And they just come from a different, it almost always re- involved the kids too. And, and I was always just like, whatever, we'll work it out. You know, especially with us here in this church with five kids, almost everything I wanted to do involved her leaving the kids. <laughs> so that was her first thought. What about the kids? I'm like, what about the kids? The old Reagans will take some, the Cleggs will take some, people will take up. They love us. Someone will keep the kids. But I mean, she's the one involved with all those phone calls and working it out. And do you pack bags and do you send it? And I was just always kind of like, don't ask a lot of questions. So I've learned, so I'll give you a, a bigger one than that. Like changing from homeschool to public school. You don't announce those things. Hey, this fall, we're doing public school. Thought I'd let you know, baby. And her say, wow, I thought you'd never lead in this way. I just planted a seed. You know, I think this mm-hmm. might be good for the kids. I see you uh, kind of having a nervous breakdown. You're, you're sitting down in Walmart calling me saying you have chest pains. You think you're having a heart attack when we find out you're not when you go to the doctor. You've got someone you're doing chemistry with and you've got phonics and you've got someone that you're nursing I think it's too much. I just planted a seed when she was crying in the bedroom, having a meltdown. Because I found when I would just declare, that's it. You can't handle this. I'm going to be the loving leader. I just, probably two, two and a half, it might have been three years that I thought we should switch to public school before we did. So that when we did, she actually said, you're right. But if I'd done that sooner in my way I was in the first five years of our marriage, oh my. So think in terms of just planting a seed. Not manipulation. Just think, here's something I think maybe we should do. But let it, let it germinate in her heart and mind. That's love. Mm-hmm. That's living with your wife in an understanding way. I call this despot housewives. See what I did there? That's clever. Despot housewives. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14 says, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and to give the adversary no occasion for slander. The word manage in the Greek is oikodespoteo. It's only used once in the New Testament, and it literally means master or head of the house. It's where we get our English word despot. So when I look at this text... It was convicting to me to realize that I am the head of our family. And I'm going to draw a line here. I'm the head of our family. I really do think Sarah's the head of our home. And that means that a good leader doesn't micromanage. So, quick story, hopefully. Sarah wanted to put, she was just kind of thinking aloud, wasn't asking my permission. But I figured I'd volunteer my opinion, which she appreciates like not at all. But she was, she was saying that she wanted to get a dish drainer and put it on top of the, put it on the counter because there's some certain dishes that she doesn't want to put in the dishwasher um, because she wants to, it still doesn't make sense to me, guys. I got to be honest with you. I don't really get it. She said that she wanted to do this. This made her feel better. The irony of it, she's putting it right on top of our functioning dishwasher, counter, dishwasher. She wanted to do it. I was like, babe, I don't know. That sounds kind of ridiculous. I'm willing to give it a shot, but it's taking up counter space. Okay, we tried for a little bit. Then eventually, it just drives me, took me to crazy town. I couldn't, it it made no sense to me at all. We have a functioning dishwasher. We're washing dishes in the sink. And I said, no, I just can't do this. Uh, This is ridiculous. So we took it down. Guys, I am usually in our home 13 hours a day, about eight of which I sleep. Why should I be weighing in on this level of detail? So I start saying, 
you know, and, I, and I say, I think we should take it down. Here I am, you putting in my authority, being the head, let her get the dish drainer. That does not free her up. That's micromanaging. That's the lead pastor coming into Fort Thomas and saying, that accent wall should be painted a different color. But he can do that. Did I do that? You didn't. But I mean, he can, he can do that, but that's not, a good, that's not a good leader. I think Sarah, I think our wives are, lame is, master of the house. Okay? I think she is the master of the house. So when she wants to do something, when she wants our shoes to be taken off and put over here, that doesn't give me an out. I do so and need to do so with a smile. She, I'm the head of our family. She's the head of our home. She wants to put a chalkboard wall on the wall. I, I had concerns. I expressed those concerns. We now have a chalkboard wall. It's fine. Why? She's there. I live there. She functions there a lot. So I call it despot housewives. Let her manage the home. Let her do that. Hold back. And don't use your authority. Don't pull rank. Well, uh, you know what, honey? I really think we should paint this wall this color. Well, with me being the head. Are you kidding? Really? Don't do that. Let her manage the home. Let her be the despot of the house. If you have kids, allow her to be a mother. I I was struggling to put into words what I meant. But I know it's a significant shift in me. So maybe I can express it in a way that makes sense. I was guilty early in our, earlier in our marriage of kind of like what Peter indicated. If I think it, I, do, I do things a certain way, and the sooner you begin to operate that way as well, the sooner we'll be a better team and this will be a better home. And it took, I mean, probably five, ten years before it dawned on me by the help of God. She's a mother. She's never going to think just like me. So I found myself almost despising some of how she does. I'll give you instances if you're thinking, what is he talking about? I hope this doesn't sound terrible. But, you know, she just, she just wants to call them and see them, if they're okay. They're, they, I think it's raining and it could go sleep. You know, we're, we're at 34 degrees. If it drops a little bit, I just want to call. And I found myself saying, honey, they're fine. You know, Sarah's not home yet. I'm, I'm going to bed. She wants to check and make sure she's okay before she goes to bed. I was guilty of more like, it's fine. And now I just think she's a mother. I'm the dad. Now, there's other places where this plays in where she needs to recognize I'm the dad. Sometimes you're making hard decisions with a young adult child. And that's where she's learned to prefer me and not to keep her mother feeling so upfront. There's something that needs to... God knew what he was doing when he gave kids a mother and a dad. And things won't start going better the sooner each of you becomes just like the other. Either they've got two mothers or they've got two dads. There was a reason God... Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. So I'll allow her to be a mom. And there's times she needs to allow you to be a dad. Where you'll just have to trust each other and think, that's not how I would handle that. But that's why they have a mother. Here's a fairly simple yet fairly difficult one. When you're wrong, just be wrong. You're going to be wrong a lot. Not because, because the woman's always right. Because we live in a fallen world. Okay, it's just like baseball. We get really excited over someone with a 300 batting average. That means they fail 70% of the time. They don't get on base. Lots of life is like that, where it just feels like you're up against the trial. You're up against the wall. You're going to be wrong. And here's what I mean when I say when you're wrong, just be wrong. I can usually, and I, I don't think it's just because I'm special, I know when I've crossed the line. I know when I've raised my voice. I know when I'm harsh, 
And I usually realize it in the moment. And it's like a little, a little buzzing little, little fly. It's like, you're wrong. That was over the line. It's like, ah, get away. When you're wrong, just be wrong. What you just did, even if you're right overall, but you crossed the line, you said something in a way you shouldn't have said, you, you, your heart came out and you called a name, you attacked a character, don't, and you know you're wrong, don't think, whatever, I'm not going to stop now. I'll get that later. No, you won't. You'll talk yourself out of it. You might remember later, but I would encourage you to just stop. My time out, stop. What I just said, that was overstated. I shouldn't have said that. The way I just said that, that was harsh. We can get right back, even if I still believe what I believe. I'm not sorry for the position I'm holding, but see when I went over there and I said, how could you think that? When I said that, that was hurtful. It brought you down. When you know you're wrong, just be wrong. Don't think, but I'm more right than I am wrong. It, it doesn't work that way. You don't dilute your wrong with right. There's, this is wrong and this is right. You might be right on nine points. That one point, you're wrong. And the minute the Holy Spirit calls that to your mind, stop. Babe, my bad. That was wrong. The way I said that, what I said, I exaggerated. You don't always do that. I don't never do that. Forgive me. Literally in the middle, literally in the middle of a discussion, it's better because I find that I talk myself out of it. I'm pretty fond of me, pretty proud of what I think, thought through it. I think I'm kind of a big deal in my mind. When the Lord says you're wrong, respond. Just be wrong. Don't rationalize. I've said this. When you rationalize, you make rational lies. You'll start having the lies make sense to yourself. Just be wrong. Make it your goal to win your wife's trust. And I hope that doesn't sound bad, like if you're thinking... I I shouldn't have to win anything. She should be committed to me. Yes, I hope she is. But I I found that it's helpful, and this would be different with different wives. I don't know what it is, but in general, there can be exceptions. In general, women are more fearful and need to know that the people closest to them are safe people. Hmm. I don't know what it is that would communicate that to your wife, but it should be... One of your top priorities to think, at the, my last point last night, learn her, right? So as you learn your wife, it may not be the things that hit the mark with Sarah may not be what hits the mark with Vicky. But I only have to have one woman I figure out, Vicky. But I pray and I want to live with her in a way that she knows I'm a safe person. And so that I'm for her. That I'm not going to pick it apart. That I'm not going to use her weaknesses that I'm aware of against her. I want to be that person after God. Really. That not, it's her, oh, it's her sister Nancy in Albany. That's, that's, her, that's her favorite person to talk to when she's unsettled and thinks she might say something wrong. And I know the Bible says this, but I'm feeling this. If your wife, if you've lived with her in such a way that she knows, I don't want to tell Brad that. Because he'll just correct me. He'll... I want to be a, there's a place for correction, Mm -hmm. but that shouldn't be all I'm doing. Mm. I want to be that safe person that after God, she thinks the next person I would love to be around right now because I feel so undone, I'm not okay, is Brad because he's safe. Does that make sense? But I'm learning still what those things are that cause Vicky to consider me a safe person. And you can bankrupt that in a hurry. So like what Peter was saying, when I realize, oh, I just did something that draws on that account, I try to recognize it and say, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want her to decide 
He's for me. He's safe. I can go there. This actually is a good thing to look forward to to tomorrow's message in Sunday morning in our church when it has to do with mercy. Um, Sarah and I in 2009 decided to stop keeping score. You said you like remember the year? Yeah, it was a big deal. It was January of 2009 that Sarah and I decided to stop keeping score. Uh, it's what was not the score. What was the score? Was I was up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. We also keep score. Yeah, no. I was way down. That was the best thing could have ever happened. You can't be merciful and keep score. So we decided to stop, keep, stop keeping score in our marriage. So that's a lot to get into right now. But just in general, if you are keeping a record of wrongs, that's not a good thing. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love assumes the best. I was never assuming the best. I had a good memory. I had a record of how things have happened before. You've done this before. You said you were going to change. You didn't change. And this has happened actually not once before, but many times before. And I don't think you're trying. I don't think you're trying at all. I don't think, in reality, she is trying. I'm just not making it very easy. And she's a sinner. We're two sinners. That's life. I was a scorekeeper. She was a scorekeeper. And then every issue we had was not only about the issue at hand, but how it related to the other issues. We went to the tape. Well, let's go to the tape. Let's see. Wow, that's got to hurt. There's like two people commenting on a football game. Wow, look at that. His lungs just squirted out of his helmet. What do you think? Oh, that's got to hurt, Bob. Like we're talking about obvious things that don't need to be stated. We could just say, see that? Back to you. Like it's just we're going back to every little thing, talking about every little detail. And it made things take a lot longer. Why? Because we were keeping score. Mercy blots that out. Mercy wipes it away. And that's what God has done for me in Christ. We've committed to not keeping score. Now, here's what that, let me just quickly say, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we act like something that is repeated is not repeated. Oh, well, lo and behold, we're doing this for the first time. Like, it's not that. But there's this attitude of you're wrong and you've been wrong. You're wrong and you've done this before. Hey, this looks familiar. Wow, we've never done this before. I've literally said that to my wife. Huh, this ain't new. Terrible. Don't keep score. Mercy should triumph over judgment.